Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why it depends on faith, or that is why his faith, rather, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God's good word. Um, I am a, a student at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson and um, this last semester, we had uh, our second child was, was born to us, a little boy named Owen. And he was born in, during spring break. Um, and so I had about a week or so off where I was able to just stay at home with my family, not do um, much schoolwork. And the, uh, the first day that I had to go back to class, though, I was... Um, I had to be there early in the morning. It was a, uh, I believe it was a, a church history class. And I, I come in late. I was tired. Baby hadn't slept last night. I was feeling sorry for myself. And I wanted to get as much sympathy as I possibly could from anybody who would give it to me. Uh, and so I sit down and, and start to relate my story to my friend Mike, who's sitting next to me. I, I don't know Mike very well. At this point. And so I, I start relaying to him just how hard life was, how tough it was to have a baby that wouldn't sleep and have schoolwork and youth group and just trying to get whatever kind of sympathy that I could, feeling sorry for myself. And Mike shuts me down um, with one sentence. He, he looks at me and says, Ben, I know that's hard, but I have six children and I haven't had a good night's sleep in 10 years. Um, and I just kind of slunk down in my chair, didn't learn any history the rest of that day. Um, because what Mike taught me, uh, what I learned from Mike that day was I looked over at him and I said, if that is what it looks like to be a dad, I have not even started yet. 
I was under the impression that having two children and being in class was like, okay, I've reached it. This is, this is what, this is what hard life is all about, right? But, okay, I haven't even started yet. I, I look at Mike, six kids, hadn't slept in ten years. If that's what it looks like to be a dad, I don't have a clue. I have not started yet. If, if Mike is what it looks like to be a dad. Um, that's how I, and, and maybe you feel like when, when we come to passages like this in the Bible, um, and we hear about Abraham's faith, um, we read, we read about what his faith was like. And I mean, just in, uh, if you look back through this, like in verse 19, he, he did not weaken in faith, uh, verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he, as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised to do. I read that, and I think if that's what, it look, if that's what faith looks like, if, if that's what it takes to be declared righteous before God, if that's the kind of faith one has to have, I haven't even started yet. I'm in trouble. You know, if, if Abraham is the standard here of the kind of faith that it takes to be made right with God, then, boy, at least I don't feel like a Christian compared to Abraham. Um, but I don't think that Paul here is, is writing to us to, to just discourage us or to intimidate us, you know, or to put before us this unreachable standard of faith. Actually, Paul wants to do the exact opposite. He, he wants you and me to have faith that looked just like Abraham. He says as much in verse 16. Um, Paul writes, that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. And then this, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. And so Paul doesn't want to just intimidate us by Abraham's faith. He wants you and me to share his faith. Um, And so in verses 18 uh, down to 25, he's going to tell us what that faith looked like. And I want to just approach um, this text by, by asking three questions of it about Abraham's faith. First, where Abraham's faith grew. Um, Second, how Abraham's faith worked. And then third, why Abraham's faith matters to us today. So where Abraham's faith grew, how it worked, and then why it matters to us today. Um, So first of all, in verses 18 through 20, where did Abraham's faith grow? Um, What I mean by that is what was the setting that Abraham's faith grew up in? What was the arena of his faith where God kept him and grew his faith? Um, Look at verse 19 with me. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, think about this. Over 20 years had passed since God had promised Abraham a son and nothing had happened. Well, actually, something had happened. Abraham, Abraham got old. His wife got old. 
Um, the promise came to him when he was perhaps able biologically to have children, but then he grew out of that stage. And so now he's looking at himself. Um, he knows that he's gotten older, and both he and Sarah are biologically not able to have children. Um, in verse 19, another way to put this is that he considers himself already dead, um, is, is the way the language works. He considers himself already dead, and then he considers the deadness of Sarah's womb. Um, that word dead shows up twice in the Greek language, that he's dead, and basically Sarah's womb is dead. Nothing can come out of it. Um, and that's a big problem if, if the promise depends on you having, to, you know, having the ability to have a child. Um, and Abraham was completely aware of the situation. Um, there's, a, there's a translation um, kind of discrepancy among different English translations here. Some, uh, some versions translate this that he did not, that, that he did not consider the, you know, his, his own uh, inability or he did not consider the bareness of Sarah's womb. As if Abraham was somehow able to just... You know, he had so much faith, he was able to muster it up and just forget that one little crucial detail that he was not able to have kids. But the way a better reading of this text is that he did consider uh, his own body, which was as good as dead. Uh, the word there for consider, uh, it's used two other places in the New Testament. Uh, one is in Luke uh, chapter 12, and this is when Jesus uses this word. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, consider the lilies of the field, you know, how they toil and spin, uh, but yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, arrayed like such as these. He's telling his disciples, look at those lilies, consider them, study them. Uh, that's the same word that's used here that, for Abraham. Um, and a second place that this word is used is in Acts chapter 6. And this is when Peter, um, it's that strange vision. He's sitting on the top of a building and he sees this, this sheet lowered down from heaven uh, from, four, you know, from four corners and there's all sorts of animals in it. And, um, and in Acts 11 chapter 6, it says, looking at it closely... Dot, dot, dot. Peter examined it, looked at it, uh, and went on from there. But it says he looked at it closely. He studied it. Um, that's what Abraham, that's the word that's used here for Abraham considering his own body. So get this. He, Abraham was not in some way like unaware of the fact that he and Sarah were, were basically dead to having children. He considered it. He studied it. He knew it. It was like every time Abraham woke up in the morning and went to bed at night, it was the fact in front of his nose. When, you know, he, he had to go through life for 20 years, whatever it was, going to feed the sheep, um, getting, getting water from a well, whatever he was doing, he was aware of the fact that he was the one thing standing in the way of God's promise coming true. Um, there, was no, there was no other place to find the problem. When he looked in the mirror, he saw 
the person standing in the way of God's promise. It was himself. Um, so Abraham was not blind. He didn't have this, this kind of blind, optimistic faith. It was an informed faith. He knew his condition and he knew Sarah's condition. Um, and so complete inability to contribute to God's promise. Complete inability. That was where God kept Abraham for 20 years. That was the arena of his faith. Always being face-to-face with his own complete inability to do anything to contribute to God's plan. And God kept him there. That was, the, that was where Abraham's faith grew. Um, his faith didn't just grow up in a vacuum. His faith grew as he was confronted with his own inability compared to God's promises. Um, so now, what do we do with that? You know, we can say, okay, obviously you and I are not, you know, God's promises are not resting on you and I like they did with Abraham. Abraham was kind of, was kind of important. Um, you and I just, you know, believers in 2011, we, we may not have as crucial of a role in the, in the, you know, salvation history as Abraham did, but we can learn one thing from, at least one thing from Abraham at this point, that if God, if God grew his faith in the place where he was always face to face with with his inability, then he does it to other people too. We could go through the Bible, march through from Genesis to Revelation, and pick up on this thread of God growing his people's faith as they're confronted with their own inability to contribute. Um, And the chances are that you have either been there or are there now, or will be in the future. Um, I don't know if any of God's disciples are immune from this, from being confronted with their own inability and perhaps even staying there. Um, So what do you do when you find yourself there? I think that we can take away from this little part of Abraham's story that it may not be your calling when you find yourself in a place similar to Abraham's, it may not be your calling to try to climb out of it. To try to just claw your way out of your inability into a place where you feel competent or where you feel like you're able to contribute, where you feel like you're able to do something. Rather, it may be your calling to stay there and learn to trust God. And learn to look at his promises and, have, and, and to trust him. It's what he did with Abraham and it's still what he, do, what he does with his disciples today. Um, so it may not be that you're biologically able to have children. It may be uh, some other situation in your life where you feel just about as good as dead to do anything um, to, to contribute anything. 
It doesn't have to be having children. It may be uh, some it may be some area in your marriage, some area with raising your children, something with your friends, something with your church. And you're confronted with the fact I can't do anything here. And what God does to you is the same that he does with Abraham. Trust me. Look at my promises and trust me. Um, So that was where Abraham's faith grew. Secondly, let's look at how Abraham's faith worked. Um, Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Um, This is an important verse because what Paul is doing is he's just been going through this, this argument talking about Abraham's faith, and then he gets to verse 22, and he says, that's how it worked. Um, That's how he was declared righteous, which means that we need to understand what went, you know, what came before verse 22. Okay, well, if that's how it worked for Abraham, how does it work for us? Um, And if we get this wrong, and I think that we do all the time, if we get this wrong, it, it can be... Uh, catastrophic to our relationship with Jesus, to, to understanding the gospel in the first place, if we get this wrong. Let me, let me illustrate w- what I mean by this. Um, I, I love to deer hunt. Um, I, I've been a, a hunter all of my life. Uh, well, I've hunted all my life, but I, I, I have nothing to show for it, basically. But I love to deer hunt. And there is a story that's passed around the deer camp that goes like this, that uh, the, these two men went, went hunting one day. One of them was an experienced hunter. One of them um, knew nothing about hunting. The experienced hunter goes out. Uh, he spends all day in the woods, and he comes back at the end of the day with a trophy deer. His friend looks at him and says, good grief, how did you, what did you do? Tell me what I can do to make that true for me, right? What do I have to do to get something like that? And the, the experienced hunter looks at him and says, well, it's easy. You just, you go out, you look for some tracks, and you follow tracks, uh, and then boom, you shoot a deer. It's that easy. So the man does that. The next morning he wakes up. He comes back at the end of the day, however, and it looks like he got in a fight with a bear. He's just bloodied, bruised, um, broken leg, broken arm, you know, just in a, in a mess. And the, the hunter says, what happened? And the guy says, well, I followed your advice. I went out and I looked for some tracks and I followed the tracks, but boom, I got hit by a train. Um, he didn't understand... That's not a true story. Um, he, he didn't understand how it worked. He, he got the instructions. He understood, um, he understood the, the instructions, but, but he didn't understand how hunting worked, right? And, and if we get this wrong, verse 22, how faith works, it will show up and it will, it will, it can, it can be disastrous. Now, okay, so here's what I mean. Um, in verse 22, he says that's, how his, that's, uh, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That word that, T-H-A-T, that, can either refer to one of two things. Uh, 
that Paul has been talking about. It can either refer to the fact that Abraham was fully convinced. Or it can refer to what Abraham was fully convinced of. Um, He's just been talking about the stellar quality of Abraham's faith. That he was fully convinced. Didn't waver in unbelief. Uh, And then he says that's why he was counted as righteous. And so... It was either the quality of, of Abraham's faith that God looked at and said, I'm going to count that righteous. Or it was something else about Abraham. Um, to put it another way, it was either the quality of his faith or it was the object of his faith, what he was looking at. And it really comes down to this, that it was either something about Abraham that God looked at and said, he's right with me. It was either something about him or it was something about God. Something about Abraham or something about God. Um, And we need to get this right. Um, Sinclair Ferguson says this about faith. Um, Sinclair Ferguson says, Faith takes its character not so much from itself, but, but from its object. It's not so much a personal quality that I have, but it's a recognition of the Lord's qualities. Um, you see, Abraham was preoccupied with the promises of God. That word promise is mentioned twice in those two verses. But even behind that, it was God's character that Abraham latched onto. Um, another way to, to say verse, um, verse 20 Uh, the ESV says that no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Another way to say that is that he did not waver in unbelief or he did not waver in unfaith. The the word there is is literally, in in Greek, faith with an A in front of it, meaning unfaith or not faith. So he didn't waver in unbelief. And then it says concerning the promises of God. And so his eyes were fixed on the promises of God um, and then it says that God looked at that and says, he's right with me. That's righteousness. Um, and so God's ability to make good on his promises was what Abraham believed in. And that's what was counted to him as righteousness. Um, you see, it wasn't the object. I mean, it, it was the it was the object of his faith that saved him, not The quality of his faith, not the quantity of his faith. It wasn't the fact that he was subjectively able to muster up inside of himself this this unwavering stance that that God's able to do uh, what he promised. It wasn't something that was going on in his heart. um, You know how strong it was on a day to day basis that God looked at and said, that's righteous. It was what Abraham was looking at. It was the object of his faith that saved him. And, you know, you and I, the reality of what's going on there, we, we experience that uh, in, in lots of ways. One of the ways that, that we do this, you know, a way to illustrate this is what goes on uh, in lots of our houses at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, when you wake up, and you're thirsty, or you want to get something out of the refrigerator, 
Um, and so you're sleepy, you, you wake up, you're, you're, you're half asleep, things are blurry, you don't have your glasses, your contacts on, and so you're, um, you're walking through the house. And what we've done in our house is it's, you know, it's dark, you can't see anything, but there is a, there's a night light that is strategically placed so that as I'm coming out of my hallway, if I can get in right relationship with that nightlight, I know, I know where the table is on my right. I know where the recliner is on my left. I don't see them. But if I'm in right relationship with that light, you know, it's a straight path. I can get to the refrigerator uh, and the rest is history. I can get to that light, I mean, to the refrigerator looking at that light. Now, my eyesight, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're half asleep. Things are blurry. Things are double, tripled. Um, and so it's not the quality of my eyesight that saves my shins, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's not the fact that I can look at that light and, you know, and, and my eyesight is, is 20-20. But looking at that light, it's the light that saves me, not my not the quality of my eyesight. And that's the way that, that it works here. It was not the quality of Abraham's faith that, um, that saved him. It was, it was the object. It was God himself and his character. Now, see, you and I, I think, I know that I do, we have a tendency, though, to somehow turn faith into just another work. You know, we can, we can be reformed. We can, we can say that we believe the doctrines of grace, that we believe that nothing that we do justifies us. Not, it's not our works, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's our faith in what Jesus has done. But what you and I are always in the danger of doing is, is without knowing it, taking that faith and saying, ah, God looks at my faith and accepts me based on the quality of it. And what we, in a sense, do is turn that faith into just another work. Um, and so we can we wake up in the morning and um, and we miss a quiet time, or we miss ten or fifteen quiet times. Or we, or we sin in this way for the first time, or we sin in this way for the hundredth time in the week. And we look at ourselves and we think, my faith, is, this, this is pathetic. Um, you, you know, and you just feel like your faith is, 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 is crumbling if it's even there. But what believers like you and I need to know that, that do that, and we look at our faith at as a way that God accepts us, is we need to be reminded of what, of what God did with Abraham here. It was not the quality of his faith. It was the object of his faith. God does not save sinners based on their ability to believe strongly, but, but based on their ability to believe, and he gives them that ability. That's what the Reformation recovered for the church. Um, one of my favorite pastors, Ralph Davis, was always saying this, that even weak faith is able to lay hold of a strong Savior. And believers like you and me, we need that. We, we need that. 
to, to be reminded that weak faith can lay hold of a strong Savior. So that was, that was how Abraham's faith worked. Um, thirdly and finally, I just want to consider why Abraham's faith even matters for us in the first place today. Okay, so Abraham, who lived 4,000 years ago, was, was somehow able to believe in God's promises. What does that have to do with you and me? Paul tells us that um, in verse 23. He says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What Paul says there is that Abraham was declared righteous, but not only for his sake, for our sake as well. Abraham was kind of, he was an example, he was a test case. He looked forward to something that God was going to do, and God said, that's righteous. He's right with me. And my son will pay for Abraham's sins in 2,000 years. And it works the exact same way with us today. We don't look necessarily forward to something, although we do look forward to things. But our faith rests on what has already happened. We look back 2,000 years at what Jesus did on the cross and when he was raised. And, and Paul just ex- explicitly says that. He says um, at the end of verse 24, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What Paul is saying there is that our faith has as its object what Jesus came to do and what he did, what is already a fact and established, that he was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And I want to close with this. Look at verse 25. Talking about Jesus, he says, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Another way to say that is who was delivered on account of our trespasses. What Paul is saying there is what I've heard, what I've heard another preacher say this way. You and I, our sins are so serious that Jesus couldn't just come and have a Bible study with us. Jesus couldn't become man and have some sort of Bible conference with all of his people and and then convince us something to do. He couldn't just come. um, Nothing could do it except him being delivered up. The ultimate price had to be paid and nothing less. That means that your sins and my sins are that serious. That it took Jesus being delivered up to pay for them. And then it says he was raised for our justification. Um, that Those two things, the cross and the empty tomb, those are the objects of our faith today. We look at those things, at what God has done on our behalf, 
And God says, he's righteous. She's righteous. That cross, that tomb, that's his or that's hers because she believes. Everything is given to you in the gospel by faith. Um, and that, that's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news that the Reformation recovered. And it's the good news that we need to hear this morning and every morning for the rest of our lives. And, um, and may God make it so. Um, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would convince us uh, once again a truth that perhaps we believe or perhaps we have never believed. Convince us that what you did when you were here on this earth and what you are continually doing, Lord Jesus, is enough to justify us before your sight. There is nothing we can do to add to a salvation that is already perfectly complete by what you've done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would continually um, give us eyes to see, to rest upon you in faith. We need your help this morning and the rest of our days, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.